This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that at any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. When you meet someone that you immediately trust, that's kind of rare. But that's exactly what happened when I met Miranda Joyner. Like many of my recent guests, we connected through the power of Clubhouse. And with Miranda, I instantly felt that I will always, and I mean always, get honesty from her, which sadly isn't as common as one would like in today's world. Miranda's a brand strategist who helps entrepreneurs find their purpose, clarify their brand voice, and connect with their audience. Her brand new book, A Lot Alike, shines a light to help you stand out from the crowd and better connect with your audience through social media. This is an amazing conversation where we learn why branding is how you make people feel And marketing is how you convey your message. She gives us practical steps on how to create a clear message. And she shares what she means when she says, you need to learn how to dance with fear. This was such a fun and insightful conversation with someone that I'm honored to call a friend. So let's jump straight in to the conversation. Miranda Joyner, welcome to Inside Out. Thank you. I'm feeling inside out. I'm feeling all of my insights. So I love this name. I love it. Well, I'm so, so, so excited to have this opportunity to be with you, my friend that I met on Clubhouse of all places. So let's let's dive in. We'll talk about Clubhouse. I'm sure it can't not come up, but I want to go back in time. Let's get in our time machine and go back to that moment that your mother mm. was reading you her book, because I know she wrote some children's books. One was based on a poem. One had a chapter featuring you and your late sister. And I know you remember lying in bed, listening to those stories, 
as part of your childhood growing up. And a lot of us think about Saturday morning cartoons and eating cereal. And but you remember that. Why does that memory stand out? You just go right for the jugular out, out the out the <laughs> gate. I'm here for it. So <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. So a couple of reasons why that's so sentimental. So for listeners that don't know, my mother, she passed away in 2015. And my mother was a teacher in Jackson Public Schools for 33 years. She was a teacher. She loved kids. And she was just an amazing, amazing, amazing educator. And she was also a poet and a writer. And she wrote poetry. And she wrote this book with me and my sister. My sister was stillborn. I was born first. And then my sister, unfortunately, didn't make it. But she wrote this book that had my sister and I as characters in the book. It was a whole story. And it was a story about these kids who watched their mother would leave and she would leave and bake these pies and take them somewhere. And we didn't know where she was going. And then one day my sister and I snuck and followed her. And the mystery was trying to figure out where was she going with these pies. And then I'm not even going to reveal the story of what it was happening in the story, but it was just such a sweet story. Even the sentiment and the heart of it was something that really was telling of who my mother was. She was such a giver. She was such a funny person. And I remember her, you know, lying in bed, her reading this story to me as if it was a childhood book. And she never published the book. Never. She turned a few of her poems into books as well. And my cousin and my uncle are both artists. They're visual artists. And they, one of my cousin, he illustrated one of her pieces uh, about this really funny kid, a toddler in his terrible twos. And uh, Matt was his name specifically. <laughs> and he did the illustration of Matt getting into all types of stuff because that was the poem. And she turned that into a short book as well and never published them. But she, here's my mother. She didn't publish it, but she went through the process of getting it bound up like a book and laminated. She laminated the pieces and made wow. it into like a book. And one, one of her poems, she did like that. And then the other one with the Matt one, she kind of went through the process and kind of bound it together paper-wise. But the other one, she put fabric on it and made it a book and laminated the pages. I mean, you know, <laughs> so yeah. So it, it means a lot to me just to watch her do those things, to be able to have those things and still... Like I literally have the book that she typed on a typewriter, the pages, the actual pages from 1992 when she actually typed it. She put the date on there uh -huh. sitting right here in front of me, actually. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about this. Okay, you just published your book, A Lot of Like. It just came out yeah. and you actually did publish your book. Yeah. Have you thought about taking your mom's book and publishing it? More than a thought we're doing it. Yeah, it's happening. The intention is to publish her book to honor her to give her legacy here, but also because I was her only child, my son was her only grandchild. I'm going to make him a co-author on the book as well to continue that connection, just to have that print and legacy. Also to demonstrate to my son that these things are doable, to give him that visual, that actual applicable thing that he can grasp onto. Instead of me just saying, you can do amazing things. I'm going to not only show him how to do it, but I'm going to incorporate him into the things that I'm doing so that he can, it can build his faith in the fact that he can believe that, especially, and not to turn this podcast into that, but especially being a black person in America and us having to constantly work against the narrative in our heads that we either don't deserve something, aren't good enough, or don't have the resources to do a thing. And so it's extremely important to me for me not to just tell him these things, but to show him how it's possible and then to even put him in it. I think it ignites a different type of motivation in people when you do that. And so especially oh, kids. 
So beautiful. And you're, you're modeling it. You're not just telling him, you're showing him, Yeah, which is what it's all about. That's what parenting is all about. That's what being a leader is all about. When you're able to demonstrate how to do something by actually doing it yourself, that's when it connects. So one of the things that you do is help your clients. And as a brand strategist, I love this. I love that you do this is you have them reflect and go back mm-hmm. into one of their earliest childhood memories. I wonder yeah. if you could talk about why you do that. And then I want you to tell us if you were your own client, what memory would you think about? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Okay. A lot of my clients describe my very first session as feeling like therapy. And I would like to say that I'm genius enough to have come up with this before I started doing the work. <laughs> Just own it. You're genius. That's, that's what I would like to say. You know, it's, there's a little genius in my blood, but I was like, I, I missed it with this one. You know, so we, a clock is, you know, a broke clock is right two times a, a day at least. <laughs> <laughs> so I quit my job in 2018 after years of working in radio. I left radio in 2017, actually, and was like, okay, I want to do some other things because I felt like even in radio, there was a ceiling where I was. Great place to work. I love the people. Amazing, you know, boss that I worked for and just, you know, legends, people who've been there my entire life that I looked up to growing up. But I just, I knew I wanted to do more. I felt like I need to stretch more and do more and push myself. And I left there in 2017 and then got into some other jobs and was trying to figure things out. And then I, in 2018, September 22nd, series of things happened. I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to take a chance on myself. I'm doing a lot of things. I feel like stuff is generating. If I don't strike now, I feel like I'm going to miss this opportunity. Let me just try it. And if all else fails, I'll go back to working for someone else. And I walked out on a job and I said, okay, we got to figure this out. And so what happened was in that moment, I knew I had been helping people to build their brands and their businesses, like, you know, by giving advice. And at the time I was working with a comedian and entertainment and I had helped her build her career from the ground up. So I knew that I had the capability to do it. But my question to myself was, can I do this for more than people in entertainment? Can I do this for someone? I've solely been doing this for a couple of years for one particular person that does one specific thing. Can I do this for Sarah with her t-shirt company, you know, can I do this for, you know, and, you know, Chris, the motivational speaker and going into it, I said, okay, I grabbed a couple of my friends in the beginning and I said, Hey, let me just help you with your business. Don't worry about the charge. I'm just going to see, I need to figure out what the structure of this could look like. So let me take you through what I feel like. Let's fumble through this process. And I took about four people that I knew close to me that were trying to build a brand and a business. And I said, let me just invest in you and let's just have these sessions. And I sat down and I started talking to them. Just initially for me, it started out trying to assess because even though I felt like I know what people needed, I really wanted to hear where you were Mm -hmm. so that I can determine this is what you need specifically. And the one thing that I do know about this world is that we're all so unique, but at the same time, we're all so much connected and and similar in the way that we show up and the desires. So there was this weird complexity of, okay, everybody's different in how they're the business and what they do and how they show up. But then there's also these very common factors there. So what I did was in, in listening to people, I was able to separate and identify the commonalities that everybody needs, but then also to be able to honor 
that beauty of purpose and uniqueness that we all show up in and the way that we need those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was like this, it was like, my mind was blown. I was like, Oh, everybody has their own unique story. But then when we find that, when we get to it, it's everybody needs these same, these, these are when the steps kick in. And so I could not escape the value of the uniqueness because everybody's looking for that unique thing. Everybody's, but everybody was searching on Google for it. How can I stand out? How can I be different? How can I? And as I was talking to people, I was like, oh, well, there's your unique thing in your story. Like (laughs) you just told me. And then so I was like, we found it. And so, and then I realized after I kept doing over and over again, and I kept bringing it to people's attention that, oh, I'm finding people's uniqueness, the thing that they're trying to find and look for in a color or in exterior is here. It's in your heart. It's in your story. It's in your past. Yep. If you can maximize that or find a way to like weave that into this somehow, the story, this is powerful. And that's how I discovered it. That's how I got there. It was it was by fluke of me just stepping out and doing the work, me saying, okay, let me just dive in and see what this could look like. And I went in open to the universe and the process giving me the blueprint. And it did. And I was just crazy enough to believe it, that I could build on this, that I could do this over and over again, that I didn't ignore that thing that I have found and said, oh, that's unique. And then try to build my brand around something else. I said, you know what? I'm going to build it on focusing on identifying this in people and then showing them how they need to stay on that and use it. Because so many times we'll get these signs and then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. We'll leave it. We'll leave it right there. We'll be like, oh my gosh, this was great. And then we'll move on to something else. We'll be like, okay, let's work on colors. And we leave it sitting there. And I just refuse to let people leave it sitting there. I wanted to show them how they could use this to connect to people because that's what it is. Yes. I love that. I love that story. So now to the second part of my question, which is you are your own client. Let's just put yourself in sure. the shoe of both a brand strategist, Miranda, and a client. Miranda, what would be that story that you think you would uncover working in that, as you described, therapy session with yourself? Yeah, yeah. What I discovered with my clients is that either one or two things are happening in the work that they do, that they're either trying to, oh man, you're not going to make me cry, Billy. That's what you're not going to do. You're not going to make me cry. Either one or two things are happening. Either you're trying to give somebody something in abundance, something that you had an abundance as a child. Or you're trying to give people as an adult something in abundance that you were lacking as a child, right? So either something you were missing or had enough of, we're trying to give. And a lot of times we're trying to innately, I think we just try to heal ourselves through healing other people. That's why so many times you can hear someone saying, you're telling me I need to do this and something you need to do. (laughs) It's because... It's easier for us to heal through other people or try to heal other people. But most of the time it's because it's hard to face our, you know, to face our own mess. And so we're in a way trying to heal ourselves through helping others. And some of us carry it off good. And some of us are just do it the wrong way. For me, I go back to, man, my mom and my grandmother. I was raised by my mother, single parent. And by my grandmother, I lived with her my entire life until I left for college and until, well, until I graduated from college, actually. And my mom and my grandmother were beautiful, resilient, and they were consistent in the way that they showed up in this world. They were resilient, they were consistent, and they were strong women who just got the job done. My mother, like I said, was a teacher for 
33 years before she passed away. And my grandmother worked at a plant for 22 years before it mm-hmm. closed down. And she probably would have worked there longer had it. And my grandmother was the type, she was cutting the front and backyard with a mower, pushing a pushing mower at 70 something years old. That was my <laughs> grandmother. Okay. We had plants every year. People referred to our house as the jungle because she just had these beautiful plants, flowers blossoming all over my entire house. Monkey grass lined the the sidewalk coming up. And in the wintertime, these plants would move in with us. She made way. We Our house would condense in and she would put plants. She would build these uh, four by two by fours and put them on and have these cement bricks and would create these spaces. Oh, we have plants behind. Yeah. And then she was only allowed to put one plant in my room because I was like, that's all you're getting in the window because they're going to die in my room. Like you had to come like, and so, <laughs> and, so this was the world. This is my consistency every year. Faithfully. My grandmother was the type of person. She went to the grocery store once a month and we had food every day, once a month. I don't even know how I can even function like that now as an adult, once a month grocery store trip would feed us for a month. Okay. House full of people rotating now. I say all that to say, I watched my mom and grandmother operate in that. And like we talked about in the beginning, I know my mother had dreams and desires to live in a space of freedom with the the creativity side. I believe that she genuinely loved being a teacher, but I feel like she had so much more potential that she could have tapped into that she never tapped into. My grandmother, as beautiful as that situation was, I feel like she never fully moved into a place of purpose. Her purpose, and maybe that was her purpose, existing around the routine that she had created in the house, but she didn't do much outside of that. And she was a staple and a resource for family when they needed it. She's big on family, but she never just lived fully. Mm-hmm. So when I think back about looking at what they taught me in consistency and, and resilience and strength, I definitely get my consistency from them. But what I didn't have that I didn't see in them and what I wanted was to live freely and fully in purpose of what I felt like I was supposed to be doing in this world in connection to other people. And I watched my mom do that by the way that she impact kids in the classroom, but I felt like she wanted to do more that she just never did. And Because of that, I think that's my story. I think that's the moment where I go back and say, that was what made me on September 22nd, 2018 say, you know what? I'm going to take a chance on myself and just quit my job. And I'm not going to leave this earth like my mom and my grandmother did without seeing what I could do and how I could stretch and how I can put an imprint in this world before I die. I I just, I don't want to die full of purpose, you know? So I think that's my story, you know, is that as beautiful as the things they gave me and what I watched from them, I don't want to die with purpose untapped. And so now I really enjoy helping people identify purpose as soon as possible because I found it when I was 37. While I feel like it was right when I needed to, I probably could have tapped into it earlier and I didn't. So yeah, I think that's my story is that I watched it pass away with people who I loved. And I don't want to do the same. And then I want to help others identify it quicker because mm-hmm. I feel like I figured out a hack. <laughs> <laughs> I wish somebody could have found me at 28 because I started doing this in my 20s. I don't know where I'd be. I'd be, sitting, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be eating with Oprah right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. And I really, of course, you know, appreciate the fact that you feel comfortable enough with me that you share your story so freely and openly and, and with sure. with others because that's how you make an impact on the world. And it's like you're reading my notes. I swear. My next question was going to be about lack versus abundancy. Um, and then my question after that was about the role models 
because to your own admission in your book, you talk about, you know, I may not have had a role model as an entrepreneur in my life, but I had a role model of what it means to be a hard worker, what it means to be consistent, what it means to show up for 34 years as a teacher, 22 years in a plant. And that right there, much like you described how you're going to show your son, it's coming full circle. And now you're showing your son what it's like to land the plane, as my old boss used to say, yeah. by actually getting your project to the finish line. And your mom did the, the found, laid the foundation. And now you're building the house on top of that foundation. And what a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing. I can't believe that you literally went play by play. And, and I got to just like, okay, where am I at now? Okay, so let's talk about this. What do these words mean to you? I want to flash forward a little bit in your life. Lean into the microphone. And pretend it's your boyfriend's ear. What does that mean? I'll say it again. Lean into the microphone and pretend it's your boyfriend's ear. Yeah. So this is where I get to tap into my sexy, right? So uh, <laughs> in the beginning of the book, I describe my first engagement and encounter with radio. I was an on-air personality in radio for almost 15 years off and on, and I loved every minute of it. And I love this. I love the interview process. I love interviewing people. I love having conversations. I don't do it nearly as amazing and as beautifully and executed the way you do. But I just enjoy having conversations with people and hearing stories, which is why I enjoy what I do with my clients so much and why I enjoy that first session of just being able to hear so many stories. I get to sneak it in there. Um, (laughs) Totally. But for me, that line was what happened when... As an intern, and such a funny you know, story, and I tell the story in the book about how I ended up being an intern at the radio station by a fluke. Like it was, I was, I had to spend an extra eight grand at a college because of one class. And it was in that semester that I got the internship. So had I graduated on time, I would have not tapped into radio. Like That's I would have missed it. That's so crazy. I would have missed it. And I was like, and I don't even know how, because I'm pretty thorough. How did I miss this class? I wanted to strangle the counselor. And I was like, you know what, whatever. Like, how did I miss well, it? Really, I'm- that's why you didn't even like, it was like a kind of just like a, a miscalculation. It wasn't even like, dude, that was happening. No, I feel like it was destiny because honestly, to this day, I can't even remember what the class was. It probably had no relevancy to my life other than, Miranda, you need to stay here one more semester so you can get at the radio station. I just think that's how the universe works. Like, just listen to me and do it. Don't buck the system. Just roll with it. That's right. So I ended up an intern at this radio station working with people that when I was in junior high and curling my hair to get ready to go to school, I was listening to them on the radio, right? The nine o'clock props and the, you know, the, the, all the, the jams, you know, the roll call in the morning time. That. It's roll call. It's roll call. I used to listen this is to your them. station. This is like this your is station. You know it right out. 99 Jams, WJMI in Jackson, Mississippi, (laughs) run by Stan Branson. And uh, he was the program director and, you know, all these people that were on air there. And I ended up getting an internship there and they didn't do a lot of interns. And I I was almost one of the last ones to get on, to be honest, because it's a very close-knit station of people who have worked there for decades, decades. And getting on there, everybody wanted to work at JMI. And it was like, And here's the interesting part. I wasn't one of those people that was like, man, I really want to do radio. I was just like, oh, this is cool. So I didn't go in with these aspirations to be on radio. I was just like, oh, this is cool. I could do this. And I had spoken before, you know, my mother, let's go back to her. I went to the elementary school my mom taught at. And so 
you have to understand what that means for your mother to work in a place where she's not only a teacher there, but my mother also participated in coordinating a lot of the activities that happened. So she had started a drill team. And by drill team, it wasn't like the girls bucking and dancing, which you know, my mom had people dressed up almost like ROTC type things. And she would have us outside marching and doing these cadence and chants. And we would lead parades and stuff. So she- This is elementary school? This is elementary school. My mom, listen, my mom would create something out of nothing. She was just such a creative bubble. So programs and stuff, she was always a part of the creative process, helping them come up with the programming and the ideas. My mom created a song. Billy, you're going to love this story. And I'm going to get back to answering your question about about the microphone. But my mother created, this was all in preparation for who I am today. My mother created a song. This is who I grew up with, that in Jackson Public Schools, the school system, they use this song on the public school system thing as the theme song for one of the years. And it was, <laughs> it was um, uh, working on the work. Jackson Public Schools is working on the work. I watched my mother create this song in her bedroom, sitting on the side of her bed with my toy keyboard. <laughs> my that. black toy keyboard. She created the little beat on it, wrote the song, pitched it to the school and they used it for all of the Jackson public school. It, it became the theme oh, song yeah. that they used. They had it recorded in my mom. That's so through, through high school, my friend Eddie and his sister, God rest her soul, Lindsay. It was an ongoing joke my entire high school life into my adulthood of him and Lindsay would always be like working on the work. And when they found out my mom did the song, they were like, oh my God, we always talk about this song. So my mother always was putting me on stage. So I'm always on stage, always talking when I was younger. She was always putting me in programs. I always had speaking parts. I was a part, listen, I didn't have any choice. I was a part of whatever event thing she was doing. So I was on the drill team doing a thing with the kids. So it pulls me back to when I got into radio, it felt natural for me to be in that space, even though it was a new territory for me. And when Mailman, when I was doing intern work around the radio station and one of the on-air personalities realize, oh, there's a new voice in the building because as people who are producing commercials all the time for people, they're always looking for new voices. He brought me in and said, hey, come do me a favor. Come, you know, be a uh, stripper on this commercial because I'm cutting this spot for these strippers that are coming to town. And I was like, excuse me, sir, what do you want me to do? And he was like, no, you got it. I need you just to sound (laughs) sexy and just act like you're, pretend like you're speaking in your boyfriend's ear. Just read that off the computer and I'm going to start it and I'm going to be outside. He closed me into this little room and I'm like... Uh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. And I t- did a few takes of it. He came in, he thought it was great. He thought I took instruction well. And he was like, Hey, come hang out with me in the mornings on like the show after you finish like doing the work when- around here, just come hang out with me and you know, whatever, whatever. And I said, okay, cool. And so the very first time I heard my voice on the air, because of course, when you're on the air live, you can't hear it was a stripper commercial. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. Well, that's a great place to start. And I know that, what did he call you? For those for those who don't know, what was, what was his title for you when you were on air? When I first got on air, I didn't have any identity. I was the intern and people knew me as the intern. It was mailman and the intern in the mornings. And not that I was getting paid. I just came in for a few breaks and would just laugh and joke with him. And we vibed so well that it became a thing. And so I eventually, the program director heard us one morning and he went with one of the randomly right? By chance, because there were no openings at the time, but by chance, a part-timer on the weekend quit on him. And he just one day said, Hey, I had a part-timer quit. Are you interested in like four hours every weekend doing like 
a part-time shift on the radio. And I was like, uh, yeah, I am. Are you sure? <laughs> and that's how I got into radio. It was like by chance. I didn't go in. I didn't apply. I wasn't trying to get on radio. It was just like, yeah. And, you know, I think even the sentiment to the last stint that I was on the radio, when he would hear me in spaces, Stan always said, you just get it. Like you get the back and forth, the banter, you bring a different type of energy to the space. And so I just was being who I was. And that was enough to stand in the space where he just kept putting me in spaces. I've tried to quit a couple of times at the radio station. The first time I quit after I had my son, I was like, you know, it was a part time thing. And I said, hey, I'm gonna quit. And I went in until Stan, I was quitting. And he offered me the morning show on a new gospel format station on one of the other stations. <laughs> he was I, I went in to quit. And then he gave me another job. He was like, yeah, how about you? do the morning show on this. Uh, we're trying to get gospel going on this other station. It was another station in the building. And I was Monday through Friday. I was like a morning time gospel person for about a year before that format changed again. <laughs> wow. Well, I love how the intern turned into Miranda J and you had your own show and multiple shows. And in, in a minute, we're going to get to the, the new part of your journey as a human being, which is all about brand. But I'm curious, how did your radio journey inform your current journey? What is the, in what ways did being a radio personality help you and help guide you to the current journey that you're on as a brand strategist? Yeah, that's such a good question. I would have to say being in radio, seeing people over and over again, listening to people over and over again, show up in this space because it's radio, right? Everybody's trying to get to radio to promote their business, to be the brand, to say, this is what I have going on. I think really watching and listening to so many people come into that space ill-prepared or either not really getting to the essence of what is mm -hmm. the most valuable thing about who they are and not being able to exemplify that once the microphone turns on. Because I'm going to tell you, here's the really funny thing about people that let me, let me give you the inside uh, scoop to just sitting on the other side of the radio thing. Someone can come to the station or you can talk to a person about their business and they might be all jovial about it and just excited and telling you about it and just 90 to nothing at the mouth about it. And you're like, oh, this is this sounds great. You should come in to the rail station and or maybe they'll call up and, you know, or, or maybe they'll come into the studio. And before we're on the air, everybody's talking the banter before we start. And they're like, yeah, I got this going on and this is happening. And, da -da -da -da. and we're like, OK, bet. Well, all right, we're getting ready to go live. And so we put on our headphones and then we go and then we hit the go live button and then they go into. <laughs> Yes, uh, I am uh, the person that does, and we are at, we are located at, here is our, and it's like, they turn to this robot, this like, hello, where was all the person? Where, <laughs> where did, did go? the person go? Yeah. go? <laughs> For me, those are the, the things that I would see happening over and over again, and then they would come not prepared. They don't have a PR person that's coached them to tell them these are the important things you need to hit on. They would, and I found myself always, you know, guiding people to the things to say, like, don't forget, this is important. Hey, this is what you need people to know. What is your story? Kind of like what you do, pulling the story out of people, why it matters, why should people care? And after seeing that over and over again for so many years, I realized the value in that people really didn't realize they needed in helping them to shape their story, to understand how to create a brand or what that should even look like. That brand goes beyond the intangible parts of your business from the website, you know, to your cards and your business cards and how stuff looks, even though people still need help with that. They also forgot that brand is also how you show up every time you open your mouth. 
mm-hmm. in any space. It, it's the way you make people feel. It's the energy you exude across the microphone. It's what they feel from you on the radio. You know what I mean? It's theater of the mind. That's what radio is. And if you aren't performing, then people aren't grasping the essence of what you probably have to offer. So radio really showed me that and ingrained that in me so much so that I don't even think about it. And I haven't really thought about it until you asked me this question today, but that's definitely a part of it. Watching events come and go, watching people promote parties and looking at the ones that failed. And then me, because I'm a why asker by nature, I'm always trying to dissect and analyze people and understand how they tick, who they are. Like I do it all the time. I've done it with you. I do it with everybody. Just understanding. I look at I look at everything on Zoom calls and all people are doing stuff. I'm looking at what people are doing in the back. I'm looking at how they're moving. Yeah. I'm assessing how they're engaging with people that they know and how they're talking to other people, like all of it. When parties or events would be successful, not be successful, I would always try to figure out what made ones successful and look at what the difference was between the ones that were popping and weren't. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, what made something, you know, a successful promotion as opposed to how one that flopped. And then looking at somebody that said, hey, I invited these people out. We did a remote, which is a live broadcast from our event and people came, but nobody stayed. And then I go and I look at how you run your business and I say, oh, well, it's not that radio doesn't work. We did our job. We got the people there. You didn't do the thing in your brand to make people stay. And I just I internalize all of these things that I would see. And then for a small stint in radio before I got back on the air this last go around, the universe put me in sales. Mm. I think that alone was probably that small window of time before Stan pitched and they put me back on the air. I had never been in sales in in advertising and I'm good at sales. When people come into a store, I can tell you and help you understand what you need. But it was a whole different beast to go out into the community, to go into businesses. And I really just feel like that was God that did that for that small. It was not long. But somehow, I don't know how, after being in radio for years, when I came back, the opening that was available at the station, they pulled me back in in sales. And I'm like, all right, I'll do sales. You know, I wasn't on the air. And then I shifted back to on the air. But in that window, I got to go into businesses and see how they were running businesses. Mm. And then I also got to see the mentality around people not convinced in the power of advertising and marketing. And it blew my mind. Not only did it blow my mind and boost my self-esteem about running a business to see how people were, quote unquote, successfully running businesses. And I thought, if this is how you're running and still maintaining life, I can do this. Mm. (laughs) Are you kidding me? It was those things that fueled not only my ability to show up as an entrepreneur and empowered me, but also it helped me to really shift the paradigm of my clients and the people that I work with from a perspective of understanding, oh, this is where your mindset is. You know, when it comes to these things, you don't realize the power of this, that the difference between somebody that's barely making it and somebody that is successful are these things that you feel like aren't important because they are. I love that you're able to reflect and look back and also that you had so many things that helped you in your current journey, both looking at what people are doing wrong, but also what people are doing right. I love, like, you can learn so much from what people are doing wrong, right? <laughs> it's crazy. So much. So we're going to, yeah. what, what I want to do is spend the rest of our time talking about brand and your advice there. Your book, a lot of like, describes branding is how you make people feel. You just discussed this through your products or services. And when it's done correctly, you're able to bring success to your life and your business. And so I think some people think, you know, 
and I, I love the way you think about this is you think it's, it's an emotional connection and that emotional connection is, as you've described it, it's like that internal feeling you get when you experience this brand. And so there's a company that comes to mind that I know you talk about a lot. And I'd love it if you could share maybe a little bit about why the feeling matters and how this specific company embodies and is a great example of why a feeling matters. Yeah. So this company I think you speak of is Chick-fil-A, I would imagine. It is. It is Chick. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> So yes, so Chick-fil-A is one of those places for those of you, I don't know where you're listening, but if you don't have a Chick-fil-A where you are, then I'm sorry. Chick-fil-A <laughs> is a, <laughs> because it is where Jesus lives, no matter what your religion, it's just where Jesus is in the back cooking up chicken, apparently. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is back there frying chicken, all right? <laughs> you know, Chick-fil-A is a chicken restaurant that serves just chicken. Chicken nuggets, chicken wraps, chicken soup, chicken sandwiches, and just chicken on chicken. And the thing about this restaurant and its simplicity and what they offer is, is that I remember in doing this work early on, I discovered their mission statement because a part of the work that I do with my clients is helping them to create mission, organize their business, give them that elevator pitch. And so we go through all of this process of ironing out and hashing out their mission statement in our sessions. And I realized that a lot of entrepreneurs don't even have that, right? So it's what, no wonder you can't talk about it. You don't even know how to articulate in the simplest form why you guys do what you do. And so, and I remember looking up Chick-fil-A's mission statement and my mind was blown because it's a, a fast food restaurant that serves chicken. And so I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be something, you know, about being number one in customer service or, you know, being the best of the best with chicken right. or having fast service because we're reliable and we love you. <laughs> Their mission statement was, because it's a Christian-based company, the owners of the place are, are Christians, and they make no apologies about that to the, to the extent of even their clothes on Sundays. Their mission statement is to glorify God by having a positive influence on everybody that encounters Chick-fil-A. This says nothing about food. It says nothing about service. It's just... We just want to have a great experience with people. And they sat down and said, and this is what this is where my mind blew. I thought to myself, and they sat down and said, we want to open up a restaurant. And what that tells me is because most people wouldn't put those two things together. Most people would say, okay, you want to have a positive influence. You got the word God in there. Okay, let's go to church. Like most people would go to church. Like, right. okay, you want to open up a church. And y'all <laughs> right. And anybody in the South, and especially if you're Black, no, you can sell chicken plates out the church. I mean, you know, you sell the fish plates out the church. When you, you went to the church in the South, food and church are synonymous. Like, hey, it works. But they opened up a restaurant. And what that told me was, is that you can pick any vehicle to deliver a feeling. And if you stay focused on the feeling you deliver, it doesn't matter how you deliver it. That's what impacts people. And Chick-fil-A is wildly successful. And the chicken is mediocre. When the fries go cold, they're not good. <laughs> it's not like they have super magical. I mean, the food is decent. It's good. But it's not like award-winning chicken that you would, you know what I mean? That that makes it so, what makes Chick-fil-A so amazing to people is the food quality is consistent. It's good. That all matters 100%. But what makes it consistent is people talk about the experience. They talk about how kind the people are. The people who work there are required to say my pleasure. They cannot say anything else. They are trained to say my pleasure with every encounter and engagement. 
They've changed the language in which they use. I can ask for seven sauces and they're going to give it to me without blinking. I don't have to explain that I like barbecue sauce, you know, with my French fries and that my son likes to mix sriracha and, and Polynesian sauce. And I just ask for them and they're in the bag. Okay. One time a friend told me that she saw a Chick-fil-A employee jump out a window because someone left something at the drive-thru. And I said, you're kidding me. She said, I saw it with my own eyes. What? I have left my wallet at my job because I used to work across the street from one and I left my wallet and I said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to come back. And she just handed me the food without hesitation and said, just give it to me when you come back. I thought, oh, you're just going to give me free food. And as I share this experience more and more, I've had more people to chime in and say that same thing happened to me and they gave me the food. And so I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I wasn't the only one. So Chick-fil-A is one of those places that understands that when you make a person feel a way that they're going to, by default, come do business with you and work with you. But they care more clearly by their mission statement about the experience and the purpose than they do the money. But they understand that when you pour into purpose, story and emotion, the money's going to come. That when you don't chase the money, it's like that thing when you don't focus fully on the money and you focus on the purpose and the intent that everything else falls into place. It's such a magical thing, right? And that's one of the things. We are emotional creatures. We do business with people we like. We do business with people we love and know and trust. And people neglect to really hone in and understand that that is how you are successful. If you can pour weight into building a relationship with your audience that makes them feel like they know you, trust you, and like you, then the money will come. But when you make it about money, people feel that. And it doesn't feel the same. And so you you get a wildly different type of audience and connection to your target when you really focus in on connecting to them as human beings. And Chick-fil-A just does that really well. There are a couple other companies that do it, but they, to me, just in its simplest form, they exemplify it. Even down to when the whole LGBT thing happened and the owner, you know, we live in this very cancel culture and somewhere he stated that based off what we all know Christian beliefs to be, they don't believe in same sex marriage, which is a very common known thing about the Christian community. Okay. And when he stated that they felt, I think the statement was, he said he felt like it should be between a man and a woman because that's what they believe as Christians. There was this outrage against the Chick-fil-A community. And so people were saying they, you know, don't support the LGBT. They just, they ran with it. And when they were protesting outside of the Chick-fil-A's, the employees at Chick-fil-A were bringing them food and water. (laughs) They were bringing the protesters food and water who were protesting Uh outside of their establishments. I remember being in radio and reading that story and thinking, now that's brand. And those are the stories and things I remember in radio that put these things in me and deposit and made, and I took note of all these things and said, what does that mean? I didn't just look at it and say, and try to make it something negative and take a political side. For me, I just wanted to dissect it and understand why would they do that? And that's what I said to myself. Why would they do did, that? Did they eat it? Did the protesters eat the food? I'm like, they're protesting and eating the food at the same time. <laughs> like, if I was, I would eat it. It's hot outside. It was hot. <laughs> They were protesting in the summer, Billy. They wanted to, they wanted to not pass out. They were they were fueling them to keep protesting. I said they were giving them the fuel, Billy, to keep I protesting. Love it. I love it. Because they could easily let them pass out and go home. <laughs> but they said, no, we're gonna make sure you're hydrated and fed. Y'all, y'all good out there? Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> stand for what you believe in. Do what you do. I thought that was amazing. It really does say a lot in the way they approach things. And you're right, though, those brand experiences are what stand out. Speaking of hot. I love to travel. And one of the things that stood out from your book, I love this insight, is that if your business were a vacation destination, 
The question you ask is where would it be and what are the things about that place that you'd like people to feel about your business as it relates to that destination? So curious, let's think about, let's talk about you. What would your place be for your brand strategy business? You help people. What would be the destination you would want and what would you want people to feel? Yeah. So for my, it would be somewhere along the, you know, I've honestly have not done this in an extended way for my own business, but but I know without a doubt, it would be somewhere on the beach that has the full experience resort type of building energy to it, right? From the spa to the almost, you feel like you don't have to leave the area. The beach is right there. Everything that you need is at an arm's length, right? That whatever your experience you want to experience on that vacation is there. You're, you get the excursions are right here. If you want to do them, they're going to pick you up from the place and take you. There's a concierge that's going to anticipate and meet your needs and really understand who you are and what your experience is like on this vacation. It's one of those all-inclusive <laughs> type of resorts to where as soon as you come in, they know your name. They have something very special for you. It's that cater type of mentality. And the reason that I say that is because when you do, when you go to those type of vacations, Billy, you feel seen, mm. you feel understood, you feel heard, you feel like you get me. <laughs> Oh my God, I don't know you, Rebecca, the receptionist at this hotel, but you, I feel like you know me. Like, yes, I do like cherries. How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) They're cherries in my room. That's my favorite fruit. We know, Miss Joyner, we know that's your favorite fruit and it's already ready. Oh my God. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay. And so that's how my clients feel with me. They feel seen, they feel heard, and I understand their journey enough to where I can say, I can be of assistance to you to help you bring this dream to life. Let me help you give it legs. Let me help you give it a voice because that's what you're struggling with. And let me help you show up in this space the way you want to, so that you can comfortably experience this entrepreneurship thing. Like it becomes like, you know, branding and marketing for people is something that's a big pain for people. It's a, it's a huge pain point for entrepreneurs connecting to the audience and making money. How do I get them to buy? I need to reach more people. They're not responsive to me like that's their bread and butter. And people really do struggle with that, making that connection. And the easier I can make that experience for them, the better. And so that's why I would liken it to an all-inclusive resort to where everything is just there. And it's like, oh, I got the cherries. I already know what you need. Let's Uh, let's talk about it. Well, not only are you making me want to go to one of those all-inclusive resorts, it's a great example of why you should think about this. I've never heard that I've never heard it described that way. And I love that. And so you talk about brand and marketing. And if a brand is how you make people feel, you describe marketing as how you convey your message. Can you talk a little bit about that and that nuance? Yeah. So it's about how you convey your message. So so here's the thing. When we get so exhausted in sometimes the work and the frustration of the journey that we forget that, that it's about how you make people feel. And so sometimes we can come across real robotic in the way. And when you take people's mindset out of the business and the rigmarole of having to get all these things done and get a message out and the mission, like we're so caught up in the mission that we forget that it's the feeling and the experience. And when you put it in that perspective and say, hey, I want my business to feel like an all-inclusive resort. When I get to social media or when I get to people, it really helps me to really be very cautious of how I come across because I think to myself, wait, this doesn't feel like a resort. (laughs) 
<laughs> this energy that I'm carrying doesn't feel like that. The way I'm wording these the messages, the way I'm talking to these people doesn't feel the things that I wanted to feel, you know, it really helps to think about it in the light of what is this voice? What is the energy that I want these words to carry? What is it? How do I want to present this message in a way that they feel the thing that I want them to feel? And so putting it in perspective of a room in a house or, you know, a personality or a vacation destination, how does your business feel? Because when I don't give them that like reference point to ask them how you want your business to feel. People really struggle with that. And they'd be like, well, I want to help a person. I want them, you know, I want it to feel like, you know, and then they start talking about them. They say, I want it to feel like good customer service. I want it to feel like we know what we're talking about. I want it to feel like we're the experts. And then they start talking about them, right? Mm. And so I had to figure out a way to get it to know what do you want this experience to be like for them so that they don't mind spending. They forget that the price point doesn't even matter anymore because this is what they want. Because at the end of the day, people are going to put money where they feel the most drawn to put money. People spend money on things that make them feel the thing they want to feel, period. When people spend all this money on lavish vehicles and, and lavish settings, it's not because I mean, sometimes it's because of the quality and then what it is by name, but mostly it's because I like the way this marble counter makes me feel when I go into my bathroom or my kitchen. I like the way this Lexus makes me feel when I get out of it and when I get into it, when I pull up to an event. I like the way I feel getting out of my Lexus. I like the way I feel stepping out of the Tesla. (laughs) That's right. It's about the feeling and people are willing to pay whatever to accommodate feelings because we spend emotionally most of the time. So true. It is. And we, you touched on something so, so important, which is often we make it about us as opposed to making it about the customer, which is really, really important thing. And you break down, there's three gaps that fundamentally happen. The first one is people don't have a clean and organized message. The second one is that they don't fully understand who they're speaking to, which ties into what we just said. And then the third is they don't know how to show up on social media. So I wonder, you know, we're going to talk, I would love to talk about those three things a little bit, but to start, I want to talk a little bit about vision because you suggest, and I really love this, you suggest handwriting out your vision and doing it multiple times per week. Can you talk a little bit about why you suggest doing that as opposed to typing it out? Yes. Listen, you're making me remember stuff I wrote in the book. Hey, okay, great. (laughs) I haven't read it since I released it. Hey, it's fresh in my mind. I, you know, I read it yesterday. So <laughs> I love it. We did 14 revisions of that book before we sent it off to edit, by the way. Like I, I've read it enough, but <laughs> I know. And I get what, what, one of the things I love about your book is you could read it in an afternoon. I mean, it's, yes. it's not, it's not so yes. crowded with repeated information. So I appreciate that. And I think that's a really great takeaway for anybody that I hope will pick up the book that's listening right now. Just know that, you know, chalk a few hours and you'll you'll get through the entire book and there's a visual mapping exercise at the end. And so to me, a sign of a great book is when it's been edited to a point where it's not so weighted with repeated yes. I love that feedback. Thank you for that. And I've been hearing that a lot. And I'm so grateful because that was the intent to just get to the point, to just give people what they need because we have enough. We got enough. 
And so for anybody listening, you got conferences. Hey, this is a great, great quick read. If you work at an airport, okay, we're trying to get them in the airports for the quick on like the flights. Easy read for a flight. Get it in, get it out. So we're looking to get them in airports too as well. So yeah, I love that feedback. Thank you for that. The writing with your hand. There's so much power in that. So, so, so much power in that because I am one that feels like social media and these devices have gotten us so far away from being connected to who we are instinctively and internally. And I think that we instinctively know what we need. Our body knows we have the answers. If we could just slow down enough to just listen to our gut, listen to our intuition, and we don't even trust ourselves as much as we should. I think there's so much power in writing because what happens when you write something with your hand is that everything in your body is focused on bringing that thing to fruition, right? If you slow down enough and pay attention, every word, your body is intentionally writing out letters and bringing a thing to life. And there's just so much power in the written word and thinking about a vision and bringing it to life. And if you write with your non-dominant hand, your body is even more focused because- Oh, wow. That's a good point. Okay. So think about the energy. Let's get a little woo-woo here, okay? Think about the energy and concentration that happens if you start writing with a hand you're not used to. You're not thinking about text messages. You're not thinking about emails. You're thinking about every single letter. And the power of intention in that, the power that everything in your body that is geared towards bringing that thing to life is intense, right? So not only I think that, you know, to go back to, I just think there's power in the written word and bringing those things to life because once something is on paper, it makes it real, right? Once something is out of your head and into this atmosphere, what you do with it after that, you can roll with it if you stay focused on it. It helps you, it it makes you accountable. And so I just think that there's so much power in that. We've gotten so used to writing and typing with our thumbs that it just, we kind of do it, you know, mindlessly. But yeah, I just think there's a lot of power in writing out your vision and then clearing it out of your brain because carrying it around in your head, you know, <laughs> people do that for years and they and they die leaving this earth again with things that never come to fruition because you don't take the first step in accountability. And I feel like writing it out is that. Even with my second session with my clients, I used to make them write out when before COVID. And even when my clients do have a dry erase board, I have them write out their vision and their mission and all that stuff together. And most of the time, I have a lot of clients that'll tear up in that moment because they've never written it out. They've never written it out. And it blows my mind which is why I was so intentional about having that workspace at the back. Write it out, write it down, write in the book. Just do yes. it. No, I'm, I'm so with you. And, and thank you for sharing that because I love it. Super actionable. Anyone listening right now can actually take action and do what you're describing. Another big takeaway for me from your book is when you talk about this three questions you could ask yourself. So if you were given $10 million to start a business, what would it look like? Or if you could be famous for anything in the world, what would it be? And if you were that rich, if you were that famous and you had free time, what would you spend your time doing? What would the one thing be that you'd spend your time doing? I love that. And as we get to this clarity of message, let's get super tactical. So how do you help someone get clarity of message? And then we'll go into like who you're speaking to, and then we'll go into social media. So how do you get that clarity of message defined? So, so I guess, perfectly that you're not going to convolute the message with unnecessary details. Yeah, I think so. You're asking me about how do I help my clients get to the moment of clarity for their, their messaging? Exactly. 
Yeah. So once we identify the feeling, once we identify what you feel like you're put on this earth to make people feel, which is what we talked about earlier, kind of digging into your past and looking at that thing that you care about. It's almost like asking yourself the question, like, oh, say, okay, what do you do, Miranda, for a living? And it's like, oh, well, I'm a brand strategist. I help people with purpose. People can give that. They're like, that's what I do. And then say, okay. So then I, I'll sit and ask my clients, I'll say, but why do you care about doing that? And it rattles people. It's like, what do you mean? Why do I care? I mean, and then they really have to stop and slow down and think because they, you know, you don't want to give the money answer, right? It's because I care because I want to make money. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all want to make money. I get that. Of course, that's the ultimate goal. That's the easy thing to say. Why do you care about doing this type of work? And then people have to pause and slow down and say, oh, well, I care about it because this is what made me, you know, want to do it. I, I care about it because I found purpose at 37 and I want to help other people find it sooner. And then that takes it back to the person, right? And then we take that thing and say, okay, boom, this is what we put into the brand. This is what we say, right? This is when people ask you, what do you do? That's what you do. Mm. You help people find purpose sooner in their lives so that they can connect to the audience and make money and show up in this world in an impactful way. Miranda, that's what you do. It's easy to say I'm a brand strategist and people to derive what it's from, but what do you do? I help people identify purpose early on in their lives and use that in their branding so that they can make an impact in this world and with their audience and make money. I mean, you know, we all want to make money, right? And so then it becomes about how do you take that thing and explain it to where an elementary kid can understand it, right? We get really complex in trying to make our mission statements and everything sound so complex. You know, most of the time we're in our heads, you know, writing it for our competition. I want to sound intelligent. I want to sound like the expert. And then not only can a fifth grader or an eighth grader understand it, but adults are reading it, trying to understand, okay, wait, what is the mission? What is the, <laughs> they're trying to, they're trying to cross-reference the words and you know how you, you, do you remember when you were reading in elementary and you would have to read out loud or you reading a book early on in your career or in your life? And there was a word in the sentence that you didn't know what the word meant, but you would read the sentence again <laughs> to put it in context and say, based off where this word is, I think this word means this. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's how people read mission statements when they're so cluttered with so much. It's like, okay, wait, let me go back to the beginning. It's just about simplifying it and getting to the heart of what it is that you want to do. And that's what we do. I just, we identify that thing. And then we say, well, why do you care about doing it? And usually in the, why do you care about doing it is where we find that simplicity. Mm. Typically. Okay. So once you've gotten to that point, the next part of the equation, and probably I guess part of it is understanding who you're serving, who your audience is. So what advice do you have to determine that? I know one of the things you do, which I also do is like really write out your Bridget or your Samantha, yeah. or your Jonathan, whoever that person is that you're serving, get really specific. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that and how you work with your clients to define who that avatar is, who that customer is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really good. This is the thing I want people to know about it is that there's a lot of fear around narrowing down this person because they feel like they're going to eliminate other people and you just don't. This exercise and in doing this is really one for you to understand how you can communicate with them because if you don't know who you're talking to, you don't know you don't know how to finesse them with the right type of language, right? So if I don't know the difference between me speaking to the president of the United States and a fifth grader in an elementary school, those conversations are going to feel different. There's a different tone. There's a different energy when you go in and talk to teachers, as opposed to when you're talking to people who work in the government, there's different energy. And so this is why it's important to understand that. 
that you got to know who your audience is so you can know the tone and energy to carry to them. You don't talk to everybody the same. That's just the reality of life, right? And so people can feel that when you're talking to them in a tone that doesn't fit them. So that's why this is important. And another thing to remember is that this is more about you getting focused in how you serve this person in your language and your marketing more than it is about eliminating everybody else that doesn't look like this person that you you create. Because the reality is, is when you get very specific in how you help one person, then everybody else that hears that need, that has that need or hears what you're doing, that has that same you know struggle is going to gravitate no matter what they look like, because therein lies how we're all connected and and mostly innately need the same thing when it comes to certain things. That is the one part. And then the other part that I would like people to remember, and I'm really dealing with mindset here. I know you're asking me, how do I do it? But I think these are the things that keep people from just doing this work right here because it's so valuable because they're in their head about these things I'm addressing. The other thing is that at the end of the day, people who think that their business is for everybody, you're sadly mistaken. That's right. And the sooner you accept the fact that there are people that your business is not for, the more successful you'll be with the the bigger number of people that it's for. So the biggest misconception is that you shoot to aim and hit everybody. But what happens is you sound like you blend in with everybody else, that you start to sound like a bunch of noise in the room with everybody else when you are trying to hit everybody. And that the people that you serve, the people that you are for, that number is a lot larger than you think in your head. And so the sooner you get focused on them and growing that audience, the more you'll start to see success. Okay. Nothing in this world is for everybody except for tissue. We learned that in the pandemic, that tissue is 100% for everyone and everybody. Thankfully so. I was glad to hear that we're all using tissue in the way that it should be used. But most things aren't for everybody. And so the more we start focusing on the people that it's for and stop trying to chase people that aren't even our ideal person. You're giving yourself a harder job of trying to, con- it's almost like trying to convince somebody to be with you and marry you who doesn't want to be with you. That's essentially what most people are doing with their businesses when you're chasing people that aren't your ideal person. It's equivalent to being in a relationship with somebody who doesn't want to be there, who doesn't like you, and you're not really their taste, and you're steadily every day waking up trying to convince them to love you. And I might have triggered somebody because sadly, I know a lot of people in those type of relationships, but at the end of the day, you don't want to be in that type of relationship with your business and your audience. So just focus on the people who love you and focus on the people who are ideal for what you do and you'll be successful. Well, it's about connection and it's about relatable, being relatable. And what a perfect segue into social media, because one of the things you suggest, and I love this suggestion, is pretend you're FaceTiming one ideal individual as opposed to if you're doing a video a video for everybody do it for that one person and so mm-hmm. i love that i love that framework i think that's brilliant i wonder like as you think to your how you suggest leveraging social media one other piece that stands out is this rule of thirds and i wonder if you could share a little bit about that cuz i i love this idea of framing your approach to social media so it's not one dimensional so you actually have different approaches depending upon what you're using it for. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So the rule of third is really good. And yeah, that whole FaceTiming one person is invaluable when you start the practice. It makes it feel so personable. And it took me back to radio when you were saying that and thinking about how when I told you the mic would come on and people would tense up, it was that thing that I would do with people to just bring them back to me and them. And if I could get a person to come back into the room with us in the radio station and say, hey, it's just me and you having a conversation, it took them from everybody else. 
And it made it feel personable. And I remember one of the compliments I used to get early on in radio. Somebody, I remember somebody telling me this and it filled me up. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't even know this. And they said, Miranda, every time I hear you on the radio, it feels like you're just talking to me. And it was a trick that I had to do for myself because I used to get so in my head about so many people hearing my voice that I used to have to say, you know what, Miranda? It's just you and this mic and one person. You just talk to one person. And I did that to myself early on in radio way before I even thought about being a brand strategist because I used to get nervous about being on the air. And we had 100,000 plus listeners. I mean, like the whole state of Mississippi, like everybody's listening. And it's like, Oh my God, what if I say something crazy? And what if this person in, in North Jackson and in, in Madison and hear me like, listen, Miranda, it's just you and one person. Just have this conversation with this one person. So that's valuable for, for that type of stuff. But the ideal of the rule of thirds, the pillars is giving you permission to in your business be multi-dimensional, right? It's one third of the time you want to be talking about something different and engaging with your audience in a different way. And I talk about dating your target audience because essentially that's what you're doing. I, I want to use an old school word here. You're courting your audience, okay? For those of you that are, you know, Gen Z or X or whatever behind us, I don't know. What that means is you date. Okay, you're you're getting to know them before you seal the deal, make the commitment, put the ring on. I don't know. Make it (laughs) official. I don't know what's happening in the world today of dating. And ultimately, you want to be a person that is not just always talking about yourself, which is what most businesses do. You don't want to be a business that is never asking questions or engaging. You don't want to be that friend that's always talking about yourself and never tapping in or saying anything or adding any value to the relationship, whether it's a, a spousal relationship, a, you know, an intimate relationship or relationship with your friends, relationship with your family, relationship with your kid. Just imagine that you were talking to anybody in your life and all they did was talk about themselves. And sadly, right now in this moment, we all know somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And think about how they make you feel. Think about how often you want to talk to them. Think about when they call, do you really want to pick up the phone? Think about how much energy it drains from you to all they do is talk about. Think about how you block them out of your head or how little you think about them until they come around and it's not the best feeling. You don't want to be that type of business that all you're doing is trying to promote and push things on people. And so you want to find that balance between in a fun and different way, explaining to people who you are, reminding them what you do. Right. Sometimes without always asking for something. And then two, finding ways to engage and connect to your audience, asking questions, sharing fun things, being funny, making them laugh. Yeah. Doing things to make them like you, like the randomness of it. I was the other day, I um was talking to a group of real estate agents and I brought up this and, and I love the face that everybody made when they said this because most people didn't know this. But Twitter, a lot of businesses started on Twitter being very personable with people who are on Twitter. If you notice, like the big organizations like Verizon, like, you know, you can add them in something and they'll respond to you. You know, they'll respond to just the everyday average people on Twitter. Mc, not McDonald's, Wendy's had a disc record. Did you know that? That they had Uh, a rap record? uh Uh-uh. No. They have a whole album that's rapping dedicated to beefing with (laughs) other restaurants. They get out on McDonald's. They get out on Taco Bell. And one of the songs is called Are We Beefing? Are We Beefing? And one of them is called Rest in Grease. Like, listen to me. (laughs) Come on. Listen to me. No lie. You can look it up. Go to Apple. Go to Apple and look up the Wendy's mixtape. And it's jamming. 
And it's clever. It's clean. It's funny. It's engaging. It's fun. A lot of people didn't know about it. They probably didn't do the best job marketing it. But I remember when it hit, I was cracking up and resharing it because it was so funny. And I was listening to these random beefing restaurant songs. I mean, they're getting out on Ronald McDonald like it was hilarious. Like, listen to me, it's hilarious. And they found these really dope artists to write these lyrics and record these records to beef with other things just to stir up some fun. They sell burgers, right? So they're engaging with their audience. They're tapping into their community and they're doing other things. And you want to be this type of business that does things like that to show that you're more than just that you're, you know, multidimensional. You're multidimensional. And also you're engaging and building relationship. And then you're giving them, you're not only doing that, you're giving them that resort feeling because it's more than just you getting money from them for the exchange. You're showing that this is an experience. This is a relationship. Like we want to be your friend. And so what does that look like? Sometimes we do fun stuff. Sometimes we get to business. Sometimes I'm giving you information. Sometimes you're giving me, it's an exchange, you know, you need something, I give it to you. Okay. There's a trade-off. And then we go back to, Hey, how's your day? What's going on with you? Let's tap in. Okay. Let me give you this value. Hey, this is what we're doing. Come get this because we know you need it. It's, It's that it keeps people engaged in a way to where it doesn't just feel like you're always just selling them something. Mm, I love that. So thinking about this, so your first rule of third is, is posting statuses to promote really like who you are. Uh, and the second one is more about engaging with your audience. And I know the third one is more about valuable information that you're passing on. Why is that valuable information part also important? Yeah. So a couple of things it does is it establishes yourself as an expert in the field and what you do. It lets people know that you really know what you're talking about. So it validates you in that way. Then it also, the spirit of reciprocity kicks in when you're adding value and not asking for anything. That's one of the beautiful things about it that, you know, people don't talk about a lot is that if I keep telling you and giving you value when it is time for a buy and when I do ask for something from you, you think, man, you've been giving, giving, giving without asking. Now, I think I want to work with you. It also works and reminds people of the work that you do, and it reminds them that you're valid. One of, I think, the bigger misconceptions that people might have about giving information or too much information is that they feel like people still won't want to do business with them. And the truth of the matter is, when I say this all the time, I can YouTube how to change a pipe in my kitchen if it busts, but I don't want to do it. I'm going to pay a plumber. <laughs> right. People pay for convenience and what they want and more people at the end of the day, if it's not my wheelhouse, most people don't want to do it. And you just have to be okay with those people that might say, oh, that was great. I'm going to take that and do whatever. That's okay. Like at the end of the day, they're also not your ideal target person. Your ideal target person is a person who doesn't have the time to do it, who doesn't want to do it, or who wants to invest in somebody to take on the things that you do in their life. And so be that and be willing because there's more of those people that exist than not, Right. So yeah, I think that's valuable because it does those things for you. And yeah, the spirit of reciprocity and it kicks in really quick. It makes it easier to ask for the sale. Mm, and it makes you credible, right? I mean, it makes you a subject matter expert. That domain expertise that you're showcasing will be remembered. Yes. The other thing that I love about your book is that you talk about this concept of gathering feedback to use social media as a feedback mechanism. And as we round out our social media talk here, we'd love it if you could share a little bit about why you feel feedback is such a valuable takeaway or insight that you gather from social media. Yes, because feedback is so valuable because this is how you know how to serve the people that you serve. Like how else do I know how to help you if I don't know what 
isn't working, what is working. And this is the thing that I think we need to be very cautious of. We are so scared. We have gotten in such a place of being so perfect and attempting to be so perfect that we're scared to be open to the critiques to say, how can I serve you better? If what I did wasn't enough, how can I do this better? And that doesn't just show up in spaces where we say, how can I serve you better? What can I do better? (laughs) Sometimes it shows up in the spaces of, hey, Miranda, I really didn't get what I needed from your book. Like, hey, when you got to this part in the book, you didn't really do X, Y, and Z. And while there's a part of you that could be like, (gasps) you can also go, okay, what did you get and what did you need? Okay, you needed more of that. Okay, so the next book, I need to make sure that I do, right? It's like we've lost the art of just being able to take critiques and say, maybe let me listen to, is first of all, to ask the question, is this person my ideal target person? Because <laughs> that's very, I think it's, it's also very important for you to assess where the source of these things are coming from. But most of the time, 100%, because if they're not in your ideal target person and there's somebody that doesn't get the value of what your book is or how it works, then, you know, take it with a grain of salt, you know, and wait for a resounding, you know, that's one thing. But then in the spaces where it is and they're telling you for us to be vulnerable enough, for us to take a deep breath enough and to say, okay, can we talk about the ways that it did help you as well as the ways that it didn't? And then in that didn't is where we grow right? In that didn't is where we can scale. In that, that, hey, I need this and this wasn't in there is where you have opportunity to scale and grow your business or open up another door or open up another resource, right? Right now, me and my project manager are working on a guide to help people go from the book writing process, what we did, because we wrote this, we, we started this book and wrote it and published it in five months. And We started in October and what I didn't realize after I dropped the book, people started asking me about the book publishing process because we self-published. And I was like, oh, well, we're not experts, but we can definitely share how we were able to machine this process in five months and what our process was like. Because when we kept talking to people about it, what was happening was really people were going, oh. And so I was like, oh, well, then there's an opportunity for a resource. You know what I mean? And let's figure out what we did good, what we could have done better you know, and kind of, and so we're creating this type of, we're in the process of creating this resource for people to have. But it's in those moments of those type of things, I think, you know, critiques or the struggles or the pain points that you can find how to help and better serve your audience. One of the things that I talk about in the book is asking your audience for complaints and, mm, and, Yes. People always to complain. There's a lot Listen, of out there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in a heartbeat. Do you understand me? You can also go to Amazon reviews on books or things that are in your expertise and find so much value in those complaints. Totally. You can go. You can go to places where people are complaining about your expertise, and you can find opportunities to provide solutions for the complaints and make money right? There's this opportunity there. It's something we shouldn't shy away from. So here's the story behind my story behind it. I, my second workshop that I did when I first started entrepreneurship, nobody signed up for it. Zero people signed up for it. And I thought to myself, oh, well, let me see. I need to reassess because they signed up for the first one. I don't know why they wouldn't sign up for the second one. What do I need to change? I took it as an opportunity to say, 
What do I need to make in adjustments? I made it a much more narrow topic. And what I did was I said, okay, let me not talk about branding. Let me talk about social media because that did come up a lot in the workshop that we had before. And I went to social media and I said, hey, what's your biggest struggle or complaint when it comes to social media? And for my for my people, social media and networking are huge pain points. They will go on and on. I'll get a ton of, I hate networking. This is why I don't network. This is, this is why I don't understand. I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people. I hate. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it went on and on one day with the networking uh, post I did. I but I asked it. them about social media and they complained. And you know what I did with their complaints? I took it and I said, oh, well, I'm going to talk about these things you guys complained about in our next social media thing. But I didn't say that to them. I just created a flyer and their complaints. I said, hey, we're going to address this. We're going to address this. We're going to address this. But the things I picked to address were the reoccurring complaints that were up under that post and the next workshop they signed up for. That's a great example of what you've described, how you approach failure, which you have a unique take on failure. You say failure or receiving rejection is simply the universe telling you to try something different, to figure out another way. And so you ask for complaints. I love that. I think that's brilliant. And so I wonder, as you look back and you reflect on your life, if you could go back to a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give Miranda, call it 10, 15 years ago, or even longer? What would be the advice you would give that would be most impactful? Yeah. If I could go back to my younger self 10, 15 years ago, it would be, it would probably be to embrace fear, to not let it paralyze me. And to get out here and mess up, like Will Smith said, fail fast, (laughs) you know, fail forward and, you know, to just go ahead and do it because it would be that. So I would sit myself down and I would say, Miranda, let me tell you what failure is. Failure is a part of the process. It is. And failure is not, like I said, it's not failure. It is the universe's way of saying, figure it out. It's only failure when you don't continue to move forward. It's only failure when you stop. And so right now, what you have to decide is you have to decide how do you want to dance with fear at the end of the day? It's about how you choose to show up and make a plan for how you engage with fear because fear is always going to be present. So you're never going to be fearless. So it doesn't matter how much meditation you do, how much whom ha, whatever, at some given moment in your life, no matter how, as if you choose to show up every day, there's going to be something that's possibly going to come along at every level that's going to scare you. More money to invest, more people to manage, more people's lives you're responsible for, bigger responsibilities. It's always going to be an adjustment in fear. So you have to ask yourself, how do you dance with fear? And the sooner you learn how to dance with fear, instead of letting it paralyze you, the easier it'll be for you to navigate through those moments where it shows up and you say, okay, we're just, we're about to tango. So what do I do in this moment? How do I show up with it instead of letting it sit me down? That would be what I would tell myself. Tango with the fear. That's so beautiful. I love that. And so the flip side of that question, which you highlight in your book is you use, I think seven years. So like, let's go seven years in the future. Sure. As you talk to yourself in the future, what would you tell yourself Knowing what you know now, what would be the thing that you would, what advice or what would you say to yourself seven years from now? Yes, if I could go seven years into the future, I would say to myself, Miranda, get an assistant today. (laughs) I would tell myself to get an assistant, but I would say to myself probably, man, that's a great question that I asked you guys. And, And 
I want to think about today and how I feel in this very moment. What would I say to myself? Because I know what I thought when I wrote it in the book, but I want to think, what would I say to myself in this moment? Yeah, because you you would have all the knowledge of what's happens over the next seven years, but you could go back and talk to yourself right now. Right now. So all yeah. of that knowledge, what would be the one thing that would stand out most? I would, tell, now. I would tell myself to risk it all and to dream big, to take chances and to keep pushing because, you know, it can get discouraging when you think about, am I capable? Can I do this? And I would just tell myself to keep dreaming big, to keep dreaming bigger, you know, to not get complacent where you are and to not let right where you are and what feels like momentum make you comfortable. That's what I would tell myself because it's easy when things feel like they're popping to say, oh, this is a nice place to sit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, let's just stay here. Let's just, I would tell myself, okay, Miranda, start the next book. Like, what does that look like? Stretch. What, what's the bigger picture beyond one book? Because we do that. We put all of our eggs into, okay, I did the book. Now I'm going to make the thing. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, Miranda, don't let the excitement of what's happening around what feels like a moment of success stop you from the bigger picture because it's so easy to do because it's a lot of work, right? And so I would tell myself to keep stretching and to keep dreaming big and to not let a moment of success make me complacent and comfortable to where I don't keep pushing beyond that, that while I can take a moment to enjoy it, that I still have to push and stretch myself to the next level of discomfort so that I could dance with fear in that level. That's what I would say. Love it. Okay. Well, last question for you. I'm a big believer in legacy and how, what we do while we're here matters. Yeah. When it's all said and done, what do you, Miranda Joyner, want to be known for? God, oh, that's such a good question, Billy. When it's all said and done, I genuinely want people to remember me as someone that made an impact on them in a way that shifted them out of a rut and a space where they were able to see something in a way that they weren't able to see it before. And so for me, it's about the paradigm shift, not only in their mindset, but also when that thing drops from their head to their heart and there's actually some action that happens behind it. So I don't want to be someone that just gets people inspired and motivated, but I want to be known for the person that the moment that I had this encounter and engagement with Miranda, not only did it change the way that I thought, but it kicked me in the gear. And there was actually a drop from the revelation went from my head to my heart and it set me in a motion that lit a fire under my ass to get it done. That's the thing that I want. And that thing that changed them is the thing that changed their life. Like it's that moment. It was and I don't want to cry because I did an ugly cry at the book launch party on Clubhouse when one of my clients unmiked and unbeknownst to me shared a story about how working with me was more than just doing brand work. He said that it was like life. He said it was it was life coaching. He said it was inspiring. He said, and my wife is to this day wanting me to thank you for the change that it caused. Thank it for the change that it caused in their house and in their relationship from a brand session that he said his wife is so grateful to me for our sessions because of 
what it did for him, not only in the business life, but in their life in general. And that's the type of impact that I want to have on people. That moment was for me, I felt like, oh, I'm doing the thing I want to do. That's the thing I want to do. And I didn't talk to his wife, none during our sessions. (laughs) But, you know, the ripple effect of how it impacts how he shows up in his world. Yeah. That's what I want to be known for. I love it. I love it. Well, Miranda, thank you so, so much. I know if somebody is interested, obviously your book, A Lot of Like, is now out. Your podcast, A Lot of Like, and also MirandaJoiner.com. You could schedule a strategy session with you there as well as learn more about you. Where else can people find you? Where else do you want to direct people? We met on Clubhouse, so I know you're on Clubhouse. Anywhere else you'd love people to find you, go ahead. Yes, I am a ball of fun at times in my Instagram story. So I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram. It's Miranda Joyner, M-A-R-A-N-D-A-J-O-I-N-E-R, all A's in my name. Don't let your iPhone disrespect my name. (laughs) And and yeah, absolutely. I'm on Clubhouse. I'm getting back into the groove of Clubhouse. You know, Clubhouse can be overwhelming. I know that, you know, the book situation happened and then everybody was pulling and I was trying to balance all the work that's happening in the real world that I'm having to do because I'm juggling a couple of projects. So I'm doing more than just the book and this brand work. I actually am doing some community work and I have some projects with clients that I'm working on now, a couple of businesses I'm working with. And so my plate is really full. And then I didn't realize the catapult that book puts you in of everybody now wants you to speak everywhere. So now I'm trying to manage, you know, engagements and speaking with people and providing the book to companies. And so in the midst of juggling all that and working with clients, you can find me in my downtime on Clubhouse, on Facebook. And yeah, just jump in my DMs. I would love to hear from you. Yes. Thank you so, so much. And one thing we know, and and you share this in your book, is we have to accept that fear is a part of life. Failure is a part of life. We just need to figure out how to tango when we find it. Miranda Joyner, thanks for being on Inside Out. Thanks for having me. I loved it. Thanks, Billy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.